0: a fleet of more than 4,000 ships put out from England. This was
1: D-Day. Hi everyone, I'm Dana Lewis, and this is Backstory. 76 years ago, June 6th, 1944, the Allies began to take back Europe from Nazi Germany by risking everything, crossing the English Channel to take the beaches of Normandy from a dug-in and well-prepared enemy.
0: Barges approach shore ready for instant action. Some bearing artillery and rocket guns already opening fire. The armies of the United Nations have made their first landings on the soil of Western Europe. Another of the great decisive battles of world history has been joined. This is D-Day. The Target,
1: a 50-mile stretch of the Normandy coastline divided into five sectors. Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juneau, and Sword. 156,000 American and British and Canadian soldiers fought through a hail of bullets to begin the march to Berlin. I've been to Normandy for D-Day celebrations and commemorations. There are grim reminders, those sprawling, well-kept grave sites of soldiers who died fighting German forces. But to be there on D-Day is also a remarkable party. Because every year the French dress up in Allied uniforms like the 101st Airborne and 82nd Airborne and raise a toast or 10 to liberation, to say thank you. This year, in the middle of a pandemic, those veterans still alive can't go back and pay their respects. A very different D-Day. So we talked to one Canadian veteran of that brutal fight on Juneau Beach 76 years ago. All right, joining me now is Jim Parks, who was a 95-year-old veteran, and he was a member of the Canadian Royal Winnipeg Rifles, who landed on D-Day, and he joins me now from very close to Toronto, Canada, and in Montreal, meet David O'Keefe, who is a Canadian war historian, the author of One Day in August, and his latest book, Seven Days in Hell, very detailed, extremely well-reviewed, you got to read it. Jim, if I can start with you, how are you? First of all, it's been a, a very tough few months for everybody because of COVID 19
0: we doing pretty good. It's uh, we're out we're out and away from Toronto area. So yeah,
1: you know, some people, Jim, have compared this pandemic to war. It surely doesn't compare to what you've been through seventy six years ago.
0: When you look back at it, it, was a it's a really unique time. You you don't really, you don't forget a lot of the incidents that happened. You've been, in instance, you've been to Normandy. You've been to Normandy. Oh, well, I've, I've been about four or five I was there last, last year. Yeah. This may I've be one of the
1: most quiet D-Day anniversaries ever because most people cannot travel and they can't get there. I, I guess that's kind of a sad uh, thing when you're trying to keep this in everybody's memory, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. It's uh, yeah, it's very easy for me to find a place where we landed because the, uh, the, the river is right there, the Sewells River. And where B Company landed just adjacent to it, and I was attached to B Company going in. So it's when I go down to the beach, and I I said, well, there's the uh, there's the Juno Beach Center, and it's right right in front of the Winnipeg Rifles B Company Beach.
1: Will you lead me through that day and what you what you heard, what you saw that morning?
0: Well, actually, uh, I was with the we were on a landing craft tank. We had uh, we had a mortar. We had our three inch mortars. And uh, we were supposed to go in but because they had armored bulldozers on the LCT, and they had big uh, grappling hooks and two sappers with each uh, with each of these bulldozers. And they were to drop off first, and they were to drag these uh, obstacles out of the water to allow the landing craft assault to come in. But however, the boat itself, the Baron got the the left front. It hit something pretty badly. An explosion, and the uh, there was a sailor there. He was supposed to wind down the ramp. And he had a difficult time because he was uh, pretty well shot up, like, you know, and so somebody had to help him. And uh, we got down, and the first uh, bulldozer, they got off okay, and our first mortar carrier got off, but the water was too deep, and it sunk. And uh, our sergeant said, we can't go in there because you have to get in closer to shore. But they, they said, no, you have to get off now. So they dropped us off, and of course, we sank too. And so we had to just... Swim our way in, but knowing ahead of time that we we're going to go under the water. I made sure it didn't have any equipment on, and the rest of we should "Dump your equipment off." And the driver, he just as soon as he got off the ramp, he jumped up onto the top of the carrier, and he went down with us, and we all uh, had to swim in the shore. So David, started, uh, will you
1: will you set the scene a little bit that day? I mean, there's fourteen thousand Canadians landing. I've talked to American soldiers who landed that day, and a lot of them tell similar stories to Jim that they were. Uh, off these carriers, way before the beach, some of them carrying hundred-pound yeah. packs. A lot of them, I mean, many of them drowned. The idea that you just got off that with all your gear and mortars and and swam to shore, Jim makes it sound easy. It wasn't.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it's anything but easy. And I think that's probably Jim's modesty all these years later still coming through. And uh, that's very typical of a lot of the veterans from that time. They'll tell you about that, and they'll t- they'll. They'll tend to downplay what it was that they went through. But without a doubt, I mean, what the Canadians experienced at Juneau Beach in many ways is quite similar to what the Americans experienced at Omaha. Even though they didn't have to go up the sharp bluffs, the fire was incredibly intense. And, of course, you know, amphibious operations, and this was the largest one ever attempted, are fraught with you know the possibility of disaster and and glitches and of course what jim is experiencing is exactly or what he experienced was exactly what a lot of people experience that once you know the, the plan is made as soon as first contact is made everything goes out the window and you're living by your wits and you're living by your training and so as a result there was a lot of rough weather that day uh timings were didn't go according to plan. So really it all came down to men like Jim, um, you know, who had to basically think their way and fight their way on shore, particularly in horrific situations
1: like this. Horrific, horrific indeed. Jim, you know, some other veterans, and maybe you can reinforce this for me, told me that when they were briefed on what they would expect when they got to the beach. They were told that you know the Allies had carried out their bombing and they had softened up the German positions. And when they got there, it was anything but that.
0: That's true because the uh, we were told about the American bombers, the U.S. Air Force bombers. would be bombing a bombing the strip of beach where all the uh, all the casements were and pillboxes, and the shelling would uh, that would that would blast it pretty badly. But the, as far as I know, that um, they were still pretty pretty solid when we went in. It, and there's still a lot of uh, mortar fire, and it's a lot of uh, being on the sand. I know we had we had a few uh, we had a few bombs land mortar bombs land near us, but because of the of the sand, it helped uh, what you call a smother sure. the uh, explosions. Yeah, yeah, mm. because, yeah, because it was mostly mortar bombs. But, uh, uh, we didn't get the 88s because they'd be uh, the, the air burst. Eh? Can you describe the yes, smell, but? the sound,
1: what you saw? I mean, the the mayhem on that beach.
0: Well mainly, I, I swallowed a lot of water and I and I, my main thing, I was worried about uh, drowning a bit, you know, was just sort of a, a flailing away and, it, uh, and I got my way to shore and we we're mixed up with B Company. Somebody at one LCA passed me by on my left shoulder and the wake and it forced me under the water on, on the way in and uh, I finally got in and I uh, I plopped down beside us, one 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 of the uh, riflemen was there It turned out to be the guy I know, and I know his name, was Corporal Scaife, somebody from Saskatchewan. And uh, I I remember this Tuesday, I always think about Corporal Scaife. Whenever I talk about the landing, I always talk about when I hit the beach, I plop down for protection. I think, well, he's plopping down, I better plop down too. But he was actually uh, mortally wounded. So while I was there, I took his, uh, he had a Sten gun. I took a Sten gun and I rolled them over and undid a small pack and because I lost all my stuff. Was the, our carrier, border carrier, went under the water, so we lost everything. So I had a small pack and I had a Sten gun. So that's what I had. A lot of commotion going on, and we knew that our our platoon commander would be supposed to land about two minutes behind us. And sure enough, he landed where he's supposed to land, right where we were. So... Uh, Hmm. I end up going in, inland with him. what past the beach? It there was for a separate sniper sniper fire. There wasn't much happening. We were sort of quiet. You know what I mean? There wasn't any. Uh, we weren't getting shelled or, or nothing. And we end up going to a small village about seventy eight miles inland, a place called puto and it was quiet the first night. Then the Germans put their counterattack in the uh, the next day. But just prior to the attack as a uh, I was sent along with a corporal from Charlie Company, and the uh, the uh, the RSM Austin, Mickey Austin. I was seconded to the uh, battalion headquarters because I I wasn't with a mortar crew and he, and he, we had no mortars. And he sent us out. He says uh, he told us to to quieten down that bush. In other words, go over there and, and spray it. So we went over and sprayed it with uh, with our uh, our Sten guns just to quieten it down. Then we end up back in the, meanwhile, we were getting, this is on June the 8th. That's the day we were overrun by the SS, the 12th SS.
2: What Jim is referring to is perhaps one of the greatest uh, feats of bravery and courage by any Canadians at any time in the history of warfare. Um, Again, his modesty is showing. um, uh, One of the things, we tend to look at Normandy and we think about June 6th. We get on shore June 6th and somehow the war is over. Well, that's not necessarily how it went. As a matter of fact, the Allies knew quite well that the Germans would attempt to throw them back into the sea. So what Jim is referencing now was a hold or a, a, a defensive perimeter that the Canadians threw up very quickly uh, along a, an area they just called the Oak Line. And basically they hung on against savage counterattacks by the 12th SS, the uh, Hitler Youth Panzer Division, who were, well, I'm sure as Jim can tell you, um, they were ruthless and they were fanatical. But at the end of the day, his unit and the rest of Seventh Brigade were able to hold on and provided one of the greatest victories, the most pivotal victories in all of the Normandy landings.
1: It's an incredible story. And I I think David, you know, so many people don't realize that I mean Normandy and D-Day was D-Day was the tip of the spear. It was the first few steps, but just that battle through Normandy, what went on almost three months.
2: Yeah, it did. It stretched on for another 90 days. And the fighting in Normandy, and I'm sure Jim can attest to this, was something that would have rivaled anything that you would have seen on the Western Front in World War I. Um, You have attritional battles. um, You know, success was measured for a time in feet and yards, not miles um, it was a bloody, bloody campaign that took a massive toll, particularly on Canadian infantry. And, you know, Jim, uh, as far as I know, um, was able to make it through Normandy relatively unscathed, if I'm not mistaken, Jim.
0: I got through Normandy. I got, I got buried in a slit trench in Carpacay. You know, like the, I got blown through a door, running for cover also. And I got my foot through a window and a shell landed right behind me and blew me through the window. Was touch and go there all the time and our first uh, our first look at the German soldiers we ran a 12th SS they were they were well equipped and they were the, if you you think about they're fully camouflaged they had the steel helmet on and they had a, the binded line in and, and squares hanging down in front of the face to break the, uh, mm. the outline of their face and their face was camouflaged and I had a very close look at because uh, when I was told to go through this bush and we uh, with the Torpal from C Company. We heard this talking and we thought it was some of our own troops. And we suddenly realized it wasn't the our own troops. It was five of the, uh, the 12th SS. So we just mm. kept quiet until they went by because uh, it was five against two and uh, they had better weapons. They had the Schmeiders and all of them. It's yeah. after, after about two minutes, we went out and followed along where they were. A lot of
1: people, David, know that, that Utah and Omaha, they've heard those stories what did the Canadians face uh, on Juneau was the, the German defenses were complete all along the, the Normandy beach they they faced as as bad as as any of the troops did on landing day
2: yeah generally speaking I mean most of the way that the Atlantic wall was constructed was a series of strong points and the strong points were erected at areas that were obvious for landing and of course there's only certain types of terrain that you can actually land in. So this was one of the things that the Canadians had to face. And as I mentioned before, with the exception of the escarpment, it was essentially the same type of defense that the uh, Canadians met that the Americans did at Omaha Beach. So you're talking about, you know, pillboxes and concentric fields, of fun, all with forward observation officers up front to call in heavy artillery to call in mortars, as was mentioning. And then, of course, you know, way in the background, getting ready to launch their counterattacks are the mobile panzer divisions that are going to allow the Allies a little bit of, you know, a little bit of of a footing, and then they're going to slam right into them. That was their idea and push them back into the sea. So, you know, you are experiencing, or Jim certainly experienced some of the toughest fighting that you would have in the Second World War on any battlefield just in those opening 48 hours of Normandy.
1: Jim, how do you reflect back today with all of the, it's a crazy world right now, and uh, there's a lot of division. How do you reflect back? I mean, lessons learned all these years later. Should we be a little more united right now?
0: Well, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's what you call stormy seas going on, and we're just hoping that, The old saying was, after stormy seas, come calm water. So I'm trying to look ahead.
1: One of my old television colleagues told me that, you know, described you guys as the greatest generation. And there's a series of books now that have been written along that line. None of them as good as David's, but there's a number (laughs) of books that have written on the greatest generation. Do you think this generation has got to wake up and learn something from maybe the the true grit of yours?
0: What I've been doing, I I go on and I talk to groups and schools it helps put my point across, and 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 they, uh, when it's all over, it, we're hanging around for. We have to get chased out of the school because we're hanging around, and they want their questions so much. They're, they're very much interested in what's going on, and I and uh, I do the best I can, and I try to make it. Uh, I try to s- include names of people that are no longer with us, like I, I talk about Corporal Scape on the beach that was killed on the beach. Corporal Martin, he uh, dragged him out of the water and he, he was mortally wounded. And he died in my brother's arms right next to me. And I tried to keep mentioning these names, you know, to people who were longer with us. And another chap that went to school with me on June the 8th, uh, a guy called Billy Hood, he was captured. He was one of the groups of 56 who were murdered by the SS just uh, on June the 8th. It was a, it was a real tough go because uh, we not only lost the Quite a few people on the beach. Our unit lost about 160 on the beach, roughly. The night of the seventh, uh, and, and on the eighth, we all the reinforcements come in, and they, they spread them around the trench. And we had only two in a trench, and they popped another guy in the trench with us, and made it too crowded. So we we hastily got out of the trench and helped them dig another, dig more trenches because it's, uh, you try to get three men in a trench that's six feet wide, and there's not you, know, you try to make it mm-hmm. deep enough to. Keep it uh, with a parapet to keep you uh, safe from any shrapnel or any machine gun fire.
1: I think so, uh, some of some of David O'Keefe's writing, uh, by, by the reviews, is is so incredibly detailed. Uh, some of the veterans have talked about having trouble g- getting through those pages because it really does take you back to some of the trenches and the the artillery fire, uh, which was so intense as you made your way through France.
0: Well, the artillery fire was bad enough. Like I can say I got. Uh, I blown through the window, and I got. We had our trench. Uh, the shell landed right on the uh, the parapet, and it blew all the earth in on top of us, and you lost your hearing a bit. I had mine. I I got back to the RAP about two days later because I, I still couldn't hear that well. and They said, "Well, it'll keep coming back." So mostly, it did come back.
1: David, if I can just put it over to you to kind of wrap this up. I mean, it's I've been to Normandy, and I know. Uh, but both of you have. And it is not a sad celebration uh, in total because it was also, D-Day was about liberation and the French celebrate that. There's a very big party that goes on behind uh, some of these very dignified uh, ceremonies. And it's, it makes me sad that this year most people will not be able to go Uh, to Normandy and and observe any of these Remembrance Days because of COVID-19. I mean it's a tough one.
2: Yeah it is and I think you know thank God we have the kind of technology that we do today. I mean look what we're doing and um, I've been contacted by a lot of people who are in the area, uh, local tour guides and they're planning to do a lot of virtual um, virtual tours. So literally, instead of having a few hundred people tune in, you can have the entire world tune in now. So at first, although you would think it would be very solemn and lonely, you can realize that there'd be potentially millions of people tuning in on June 6th than for the other anniversaries coming up, which I think is absolutely remarkable that we're able to do something like this, given everything that's unfolding in the world right now.
1: All right, Jim Parks. Uh, a, a member of the Canadian Royal Winnipeg Rifles who landed on D-Day. It's an honor to talk to you, sir. Thank you very much. And David O'Keefe, uh, you're a great historian. And, and the two books, again, One Day in August, and his latest book, Seven Days in Hell, sounds like a great read. Thank you so much, both of you.
0: That Seven Days in Hell book, if you want to find out what was like, just read that book. You must. Have, I almost felt he must have been in a trench with me sometimes. So thank you both again. Well, thank you. Thank you
1: very much. And that's Backstory for D-Day 2020. I'm Dana Lewis. We honor the brave who fought for our freedoms. And at a time of so much division, surely it's a reminder of what bonds us together. Freedom against tyranny. Reject the haters. Please share our podcast and sign up for more episodes wherever you listen to Backstory.